0: Hi, my name is Jude. I'm from 530 Macquarie Park, and I will be reading 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, which is on page 263. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of the Lord remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites... Did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong... I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in, And sat before the Lord, and he said, "'Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family "'that you have brought me this far? "'And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, "'you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. "'And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. "'What more can David say to you? "'For you know your servant, sovereign Lord.'" For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord! There is no one like you, and there is no God but you. As we have heard with our own ears, and who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself? And to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people, Israel, as your very own forever. And your Lord and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Sovereign Lord, have spoken and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever.
1: Well good morning, my name is James, one of the pastors here and uh, just before we get into this uh, cracker of a passage uh, I just want to, um, especially share as I look around this room, a number of faces. I just want to say it is such a joy to be your pastor. Uh, it is. I love. It. I think I've got the best job in the world. And you guys, the way a number of you live for Jesus really spurs me on to want to do likewise. So very thankful for you and love you guys dearly. And I'm uh, very much looking forward to next weekend. We've got Feast for Eight coming up, where we're going to go into each other's homes, share a meal together. Uh, if you're still keen to be involved, Coralie, he's organising it, Coralie, do you want to stand up? See her after the service. She'll have a clipboard there. If you want to be a host, if you want to be a guest, come speak to her. We're going to uh, share a meal together on Saturday night or Sunday lunch. And uh, if you're a host, you'll be contacted the next 24 hours with your guests. And we're going to share a meal together. So I'm looking forward to that. How about I pray? Gracious Lord, it's a privilege to open your word. It is a joy to hear it read. And as we know, as we've gone out this week in our day today, uh, we've sought to worship you, to put you first in our work, in our relationships, in the everyday, Lord. And As we've come together to gather together to worship you as your people, we pray, Lord, that we'd hear your word and that we'd go out this week living in light of these beautiful truths and promises. Amen. Well, a number of uh, weeks ago, my grandma uh, sadly uh, passed away and uh, she went to be with the Lord Jesus. And something happens, which you, a number of you have probably experienced when you have a parent or grandparent die, that you need to go through all their things. And you either keep some things that are precious, uh, you track a whole bunch of things out, or you donate a whole bunch of things to, you know, uh, Anglicare or Vinnie's, that kind of thing. And so you go through this process, right? And so we're doing it with my grandma's things. And there was sort of a moment or something that kept going on in my mind again and again. I kept thinking, are we taking something that seems ordinary and throwing it out, giving it away, that is actually very precious? You know, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to watch Antiques Roadshow, and I see the thing that was in my grandma's house that we just gave to Vinny's, right? And thinking, oh, no, because I mean, I remember the story of a lady, a French lady, who had a painting, a little small painting... I was going to throw it out, but got it valued. It was a 13th century Italian artist worth $39 million, right? I keep thinking, is this going to happen to me, right? Are we going to do this? We come to a moment in David's life in the Old Testament where a chapter which is, on all the prints, is quite ordinary, stock standard, easy to dismiss, but it is far more valuable, far more precious than meets the eye. In fact, the chapter that was just read to us, 2 Samuel 7, is one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible, in all of God's universal plan and promises. So we're going to have a look at it, and it begins with something that has been largely foreign in David's life. So open up with me, page 263. I'd love you to open up 2 Samuel chapter 7 as we work our way through this. And it begins with peace. As we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks, as we looked at the life of David, David's life has been, the relent, has been experiencing the relentless pursuit of a whole bunch of horrible things. The envy of his brothers facing a, a giant called Goliath. The Philistines. The murderous attempts of Saul. Javelin after javelin being thrown at him, but no more. Peace. David is king of Israel he's experiencing shalom, peace. He no longer has to look over his shoulder thinking someone's going to try and take him out. And so it begins, I imagine, almost like him sitting on the veranda with a beer in hand. But he's not alone. His mate Nathan is there. It's the first time we meet him. Nathan, by the way, is a prophet. He's the nation's pastor, right? And the two guys are chilling and as they're doing that, David brings up something that's bugging him. He says, Nath, Nath, have a look. Verse 2. Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. David compares the pair, right? He lives as a king in a five star luxurious palace and God is dwelling in the ark, of, the ark of God, is dwelling in a tent, a flimsy tent. One is permanent, the other temporary. One is made of cedar, one is made of cow hides, right? One is a very new place, the palace. The tabernacle's been there for a couple hundred years, right? Something, eh, it's not right. Now, Nathan is a good friend. He encourages David. Verse 3, whatever you have in mind, go for it. The Lord is with you. Makes sense. It's logical. Why wouldn't good be for it? But what happens next shows us, friends, that revelation always trumps reason. Because verse 4, the night, in the night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. What originally seemed like a great idea for the Lord, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a temple. Good motives. Well intended. I want to do great things for you, God. God turns it and says, David, I'm actually going to do great things for you. But David gets the idea, I'm going to be your house, Lord. God says, No, no, no. I'm going to build you a house. You know, sometimes God says no or not yet to our prayers. Do you believe that he always has something bigger and better in mind? God starts in this revelation by asking David a very playful kind of question. Verse 5 Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? i saying, David, I hear your sentiment. I see your heart. But you know who I am, right? I know Cedar impresses you. Me, not so much. You know, we think of houses. We think what impresses us. You know, we think of waterfront views, see the beach. We think of jacuzzis and giant kitchen islands. You know, these are the things that wow us. But when it comes to God, he's saying, you know, I made the beach. I made islands. I, I've made all sorts of... I made this whole world. If I needed a nicer place to dwell, do you think I couldn't arrange it? It's like Elon Musk, right? He's a billionaire worth $218 billion. That's a lot of money. I found out a couple of weeks ago, when he's staying at other places in the country, in America, he will stay often at his mate's place on the lounge, sleeping on the lounge. That's often what he'll do. Now, you think, oh, poor Elon, right? Right? I mean, maybe he can't afford a place to stay, a hotel. So let's take a collection for Elon, right? No, 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 it's missing the point. He's intentionally trying to do that. Don't He doesn't need your help. And the same was with God. He owns everything. He made everything. He's not here. He doesn't need David to build him a house. So after this sort of cheeky reminder, God has a teaching moment for David to show him who he is. Verse 6, I love this. I have not dwelt in a house... From the day I brought the Israelites up from Egypt to this day, I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers who I command, shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? One of the things you need to know about God is he always goes with his people with whatever state they're in. If they're in a tent he is in a tent. If they are wandering, he is wandering. If they are unsettled, he is unsettled. If they are in pain, he is in pain. God will not experience anything beyond what his people are experiencing. But as a high school teacher back in the day, uh, I was asked to go with a bunch of kids on an excursion up to Dubbo's Plain Zoo. And they're going to spend the night there but I found out over that the night combination was going to be camping, intense. And I don't do that, right? In my mind, it is one step removed from homelessness, right? I just do not camp, right? I do not tent. I like a mattress. I like a shower. I like a roof, right? But then I found out the students are staying in tents, the teachers are staying in nice, luxurious cabins. I signed up, right? I was doing, yes, I can do that. And then when we get there, it's all nice. They're in their tents. I'm in the cabin. And then cy- they get, have to cycle around the zoo. It's quite a big one. But the teachers get golf carts, right? And so here we are, golf carting around, saying in these nice things. And I remember one kid said to me, sweating on his bike, don't you feel bad, sir? And I looked at him and said, nah. <laughs> God is not like me, right? God does not go upmarket at the expense of his people. He wants to be in the same conditions as his people. When God dwelt with his people, he's not saying, you know, I'm with you in spirit. No, no, he's saying, I am with you. Is it any surprise then, friends, that that first Christmas when God took on flesh and became one of us in Jesus Christ, That he says that first Christmas, I'm not with you in spirit. I'm not with you. No, no, no. I am one of you. This has always been who God is, to be in the same shoes as his people. We move from knowing who God is to God giving David a gentle reminder of the grace shown in his life. Have a look, verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. He's reminding him of his past. He said, David, remember you used to be a shepherd boy overseeing sheep. Now you're overseeing a whole kingdom. You used to be the youngest child, overlooked, and now you're the king where everyone looks to you. Remember that change. Remember that truth. And not only that, verse 9, I have been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies before you. Right? What God is doing here is reminding David, not only of the grace shown in his life, but who is in the driving seat, and it's not David. Every time good things have happened to David, every time... David has been successful at something. That is all because of God's work. It's all come from his hands. And God wants him to look back and to see and to remember. Because here's the thing, friends. When things go well in your life, when there is peace, when there is success, even the most diehard Christian, it is so easy to plagiarize and take the credit and to think, it's because of me. It's because of my faith, my, what I'm doing that it's happening. No, 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 friends. It has always been and always will grace. Any positive change in your life is all because of the gracious hand of God and you don't and I don't deserve it in the slightest. I mean, you look back at your life, the time that you moved from death to life when you became a Christian, whether you remember that moment or you don't remember that moment because you were young, that is the greatest miracle that has ever happened in your life. God does not want you to forget that. Any good thing that has been given to your life is a gift again and again and again, an undeserved gift. And God wants you to remember and not forget and not presume that that's normal, that that's deserved. But it's a gift. But you know what? God's grace is not done yet. He goes on. Now, 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 now. David, I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. I will provide a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be deserved. Wicked people would not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders of the people Israel. I will also give you rest from your enemies. God's saying to David, look back on the grace shown, but there is more coming, right? Your name, David, will be the greatest. And he's not talking about Michelangelo later making a sculpture of him. You know what he's talking about? Of all the kings in the Old Testament, he is the greatest. I mean, we're doing the life of David. We ain't going to do the life of Saul. We're not going to do the life of Solomon, right? Because David is the greatest. He's the one Remembered. It's saying the place in which they live, Israel, it's not going to be disturbed. They're going to be like a plant, not that has been transplanted again and again, but one that is planted and grows deep roots. And that they will experience rest, peace. That's not like a long weekend kind of rest or peace. No, no, no. It is like a long service kind of rest and peace where it will become the norm. Now, why does David, God give David blessing after blessing? Why does he give him more good thing after good thing? It's because of one beautiful but simple truth. It is who God is. He is the God who loves to shower his children, shower his people with abundant blessing. He wants David to be overwhelmed by what's coming. You know, it's like making a cake, right? You can make a cake and then you can ice it. You could put a little bit of icing, you know, just a little bit around. Or you can lavish the thing with a lot of icing, consume the whole thing. That is the way God treats his people. He lavishes them with love and abundance and abundance and abundance. He is not sparing. Because I know for some of us, the, the idea of God is abundantly blessing, is a God of abundant grace. It's hard to comprehend because our human experiences are so unlike that. It's like Bernadette, right? Bernadette, her dad was a dad who had money but was very stingy, or in his words, frugal, right? That he would be very reluctant to give his daughter anything. The only time was a birthday present, and there he would even remind her of the effort that he put in to give her that gift, never give her ice cream, never a lolly, was very, very frugal. Could have, but refused to. Why? Because he didn't want it to get to her head. So when Bernadette became a Christian, she thought God would be the same. Sparing, reluctant, could do it, but didn't want to. But Bernadette, and perhaps you need to know, that is not who God is. God is a God of abundant grace. He wants you to be overwhelmed. He wants you to be overwhelmed and never recover from the things that are coming through Jesus Christ. See, David begins his question and says, what can I do for God? And he's left in shock and awe. I mean, you see that in the New Testament. If you open Ephesians chapter 1, there is a whole bunch of spiritual blessings that you have in Jesus Christ. It is a buffet to make your eyes pop, right? But you know what? Ephesians 2, the next chapter, it says this. It's on the screen. In the coming ages, God might show you the incomparable riches of his grace through Jesus. God, not only in this age, but in the age to come heaven, you know what heaven is? You are going to be overwhelmed. You are going to be in total shock of the incomparable riches that are coming your way. That is what heaven is. Grace after grace, gift after gift, blessing after blessing. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hang on. Won't this get to David's head? You know? Isn't it that the danger we don't want to spoil the person? You know, you sort of we want to give them a little bit that not they get used to and that kind of thing. You know, Isn't that the problem with this kind of abundant grace? But you know what's interesting? Later on, God says to David, I know you want to build me a house, but you're not. Your son, Solomon, he's going to build a house. He's going to build a temple. I mean, David probably could have done it, but why didn't God get him to do it? Because David, by the time the temple has begun to be built, is dead and gone. He had nothing to do with it. Not the plans, not the architectural design. No, nothing to do with it, because God did not want David to think that he, had to do, he did anything towards it. Didn't even contribute in the slightest. All this blessing is because God wants to give it to him. And you and I are the same, friends. Every spiritual blessing that you have in Christ, every good thing, it is not because of us. It is not depending on how good you are, faithful you are, what you have or have not done. It is all because God wants to give it to you. Because the thing that spoils grace, what is it? Pride. It's like a drop of lemon juice in milk. It always goes bad. Because when pride enters, it's no longer a gift. And you start to think, maybe I did something to do this. And you become entitled, presumptuous, ungrateful. And that's when the spoiled brat comes out. But if you always know that every good thing you've given us is nothing to do with you, But despite you, it stops you from being the spoiled brat and accepting gift after gift with a grateful heart. But there is one glaring issue with all the promise that God has said so far. You know what it is? It's all tied to David. But what happens when David carks it, right? It's like when I was watching the Jubilee events for the Queen, Last couple of weeks, right? All these big. It basically, I was watching Louis's reaction. That you know, that's really what the Queen Jubilee was all about, and you know, making faces and all that kind of stuff. But it was about the Queen. And as I was watching this, you know, all the big ceremony, all the celebrities, all the. And you're thinking, you're watching it, you're like, the monarchy's pretty safe, right? But for now, you know, while that was happening, we appointed an assistant minister for the republic, and. You know, those who want the republic are waiting for the queen to go and Charles to come and no longer any cute kids to be born. You know, they're sort of waiting for their right time. And, and though it may appear stable, the monarchy, it's not all that stable, right? It can go quite quickly. And when it comes to the king, the king of Israel, all these promises, if they're just tied to David, it's quite unstable. But God does not want instability, he wants them to have confidence. And he's saying as he moves from a tent to a temple to dwell with his people, he wants his people to have certainty and security. So what does he say? Verse 12. When your days are over, David, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish his throne forever one word that's a beautiful word in that is that is forever he's saying david you're going to have a son solomon will be his name he will build the temple but you know what even his kingdom will not go in fact this promise is not just tied to you david it is tied to your lineage it is tied to the sons the kings that will come forth one after the other this is not a one-generation wonder. It is every generation that comes from King David. And notice what he says verse 14. He goes on to say, I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by a man, with floggings inflicted by human hands. Right? Notice what he's saying there. He's saying, I'm going to refer to this king not just as a servant, but as my son. This is where the house of David merges with the house of the Lord. He's moving from getting closer and closer to his people. Now, would this king be perfect? There's the expectation he won't be. But that is why verse 15 is so important, friends. But my love will never be taken away from him. Do you know where unconditional love comes from? It comes from that verse. It was never articulated anywhere before this. The reason why you love unconditionally—you know where it, come, it comes from. This, where God is saying, despite how bad things get, my love for the King and people will not go. It is no longer conditional. It is unconditional. Nothing will impact it. Death will not affect it when David dies. Sin, no matter how bad it gets, will not destroy Time will not exhaust it. It will go forever. My love is unconditional. It's God saying in this promise to his people, here's a blank check. A blank check that no matter what comes, for better or for worse, I am with you and for you. I love you. You know, the thing about promises is They're accepted on good days, but they're far more prescient on dark days, aren't they? And hearing this promise, this is a good day for David. He's overjoyed, overwhelmed by it. But there are dark days coming for God's people. You know, for David, this is the high point of his life, and it's going to go downhill, as we'll see in the coming weeks. Solomon, his son, will build the temple... And it will go down from there. And every son of David from here on end goes from bad to worse, from foolish to outright wickedness. It is going to get very bleak and bad. And God's people, because they're tied up with the fortunes of the king, will cop it. There will be civil war. There will be overwhelmed by enemies and taken off to foreign lands. It is going to get bad and bad and bad. And yet this promise to Samuel 7 will be ringing in the ears of God's people. Hang on, hang on, hang on. God said, God said that his love's not going to go. Where is this son of David? Where is this one who will bring us blessing? And then a quiet, ordinary day. Easy to overlook, most people did. Where an angel turned up in the kitchen of a lady named Mary and said, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son and call him Jesus. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David and his kingdom, it will never end. See, in other words, 2 Samuel 7, when that angel came to Mary, it was fulfilled. It was complete. You will not understand Jesus unless you understand 2 Samuel 7 and this promise. It makes no sense otherwise. Now, David is thinking this promise is just for his biological sons, right, for the kings that come. But God had a bigger plan involved. See, if you ever wondered why Jesus kept referring to the Gospels as the son of David, son of David, that's not just because he is biologically one of the sons of David, but it's because he would be the final son of David. But not just that. He would be also the son of God, where the house of God and the house of David truly merged where Jesus turned up, where he would be the king who would perfectly be a man after God's own heart because he had God's heart because he was God. That Jesus would not need to be punished, unlike the previous sons of David. He was perfect. And yet he was still flogged by the hands of men. Why? Because he took on the sins of his people so his people could be freed and forgiven. Where Jesus said... I'm going to build a temple, but I ain't going to build it with human hands. My body is the temple, and you tear it down and three days later it will rise again so that I can have a perfect and permanent dwelling with my people so that the Holy Spirit can dwell with them and they be a temple. That Jesus Christ was said, I've come to establish a kingdom, but my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is a kingdom where sin and death and time will not affect it, heaven forever where there you will experience perfect rest. The Lord Jesus didn't turn up out of the blue. He turned up because of this promise. God put this promise to David, knowing that the son of David, Jesus Christ, would fulfill everything. This is what it's pointing to. You know, friends, whenever you go to a wedding and you see the couple making promises to one another... I have great views of marrying the couple, right? Conducting the service. I'm here, right? Seeing the two make promises to one another. But for all of us who are not the couple, it's warm, it's fuzzy, it's cute. But the promises really don't affect us much, right? They don't impact us. They're making promises to one another. And it can feel like God making a promise to David. It's just between the two of them. But no, no, no. This promise is for you. This promise You have an active part in it, right? You are a recipient of it. Because the blessings are all tied to the son of David, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And if you are with Jesus, then these blessings are yours. If you attach yourself to Jesus, you get to receive all of them. And you know how you attach yourself? Just through faith. Receive. And there you experience the unconditional love that no matter how bad things get in your life, no matter how atrocious the things that you do, if you are in Christ, then his love ain't going nowhere. It is not going anywhere. His love for you is unconditional. If you are in Christ, then peace and protection are with you all the time. That Jesus says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And that Jesus will take you to be in the perfect place, heaven. And when you get there, it is going to knock your socks off. Friends, this passage started with David thinking, you know what? What could I do for God? And it led him in shock and awe of what God has done for him. And there is a beautiful truth to that, friends. I mean, you and I might have great ideas for Jesus, great plans put our time and effort to all sorts of things. Maybe we might start a ministry, be part of a church plan, work for a Christian organisation. Maybe we might have all sorts of plans and ideas of doing this. You raise your children in the Lord, you work hard, share the money. All these are good things, great things for the Lord, all good. But they're nothing of what Jesus has done for you. This vision, this promise, this, this is what he wants you to be consumed by. This is what he wants you to be overwhelmed by. This is what he wants you to be all over, bowled over by. And friends, if you never recover from experiencing the grace of God, that is a life well lived because that is going to be your eternal life. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, you are a God of grace, and abundant grace. You're not sparing, you're not stingy, Lord. And this is so hard to imagine because... We live in a broken world with broken people. So we ask, Lord, that our hearts, by the power of your Spirit, would be inclined to know who you are. That we would trust revelation, not just reason. That you are a God of abundant grace. That you keep your promises. And they are all the promises are yes in Jesus Christ. So we ask, Lord. As what David prayed, that we'd sit in the fact that who are we? We are nobody, and yet we have been blessed. We've been caught up in this beautiful promise. And we say those words of David, how great are you, God?